Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. This is the true story of Sean Burton. He was jealous and controlling from the beginning. His wife, Teresa. He was so obsessed with her beauty. They're having sex in public. And a passionate affair that ends in a bloodbath. He's covered in blood, looking like something that just walked out of a horror movie. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's the beginning of 2008 in Springfield, Pennsylvania. A working class town outside of Philadelphia. Springfield, PA is uh, typical middle class America. Very nice residential area. It's very conservative. Sort of the archetype uh, American suburb. 33-year-old Teresa has lived in the area all her life and she's raising her two boys from a previous marriage here. She's an attractive woman, very fit, uh, friendly, outgoing. Teresa's kind of a bombshell. Blonde, well-spoken. Teresa is an insurance professional, and her second husband, Sean, has a successful business selling car parts. Sean Burton is a big dude. Over six feet tall, 300 pounds, African-American, good-looking guy. He comes from Jamaica, comes to the United States, wants a better life, starts his own business, does well, and he meets this attractive blonde, a home run for him. She goes to get a set of rims and some side rails put on her truck, and within a very short period of time, they're dating. A short period of time after that, Sean's more or less moved in. Since then, Teresa and Sean's relationship has only become more intense. There is an attraction that's very physical between the two of them, and their sex life is very adventurous. But the couple can't survive on sexual chemistry alone. And unfortunately, away from the bedroom, things aren't so rosy. Before they got married, Sean had trouble being faithful, and it's left Teresa with nagging doubts. He'd been through a divorce proceeding once before uh, with his first wife. Teresa has always been worried he'll cheat on her, too. Soon after their wedding, her suspicions get the better of her, and she files for a no-fault divorce. The law in the state of Pennsylvania is that if a person doesn't sign the paperwork, within two years, divorce is automatically legal anyway. Teresa stayed with Sean in the hope that their relationship might grow stronger over time. But Sean's behavior does little to ease her concerns. He came home late, and she was confronting him. It's 2 a.m. Don't start. It's 2 a.m. She didn't trust Sean. Sean has had, you know, liaisons with women in the past. Sean just brushes her off. 
I went out for a drink with the guy. Liar! This is not a normal relationship from the very beginning. Sean cheats. He's with other women, and he's not even really very apologetic about it. When things get heated, he disappears to a house he owns in Delaware. This is his concept of marriage, is he cheats and does whatever he wants. In his mind, he doesn't really see anything wrong with that. Deep down, Teresa knows she's being played. But the attraction between them is so strong, she overlooks his indiscretions. There's something magnetic about Sean. Maybe the image, maybe the sex, that keeps drawing her back in. They have a lot of sexual chemistry, a magnetism between them. For two years, their connection has kept the relationship going. But Teresa's patience with her husband's cheating ways is starting to wear thin. As her marriage falls apart, Teresa turns to one of her co-workers for support, an ex-army ranger named Jim Stropus. He and Teresa hit it off immediately. They're smoking buddies, go out on smoke breaks. He's over six feet tall. He weighs about 175 pounds. He's a really good-looking guy, real easy to talk to, really sweet, very well-liked. He looked unassuming, but he was actually a pretty strong guy, well-trained, and his body was physically in top shape. Jim is calm and understanding, very different from Sean. He's very kind and, and gentle and listening to her. This is something that really draws her to Jim. She was attracted to him physically, uh, but they were able to talk. She was able to confide in him, and they got along. And their conversations aren't only one-sided. Jim has been struggling to fit back into life as a civilian after being deployed to Iraq. And his breaks with Teresa come as a welcome distraction. I think that he sees her as somebody who might be able to help him transition back into what looks more like a normal American life. At this point, Teresa's friendship with Jim is strictly platonic. But Sean's behavior is testing her resolve to keep it that way. By the end of January, Teresa's marriage is seriously on the rocks. It was a turmoil relationship where there was a love-hate situation where they would fight and then get back together. One day, things come to a head when Teresa gets a phone call from a friend. Hey, what's up? Who has proof Sean has been cheating on her. When Teresa confronts him... What would you be doing with another woman in a hotel? She gets a familiar response. You're kidding me, right? Are you, you're smiling right now? He denies it. He actually accuses her. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, don't you question me like that, okay? You're making this up. You know, this is all in your head. Oh, it's all in my head? It results in a fight. Teresa. You're so full of crap. He's on the phone, and she's suspicious of who he's talking to. You're going to take that? Really? So the conversation just, you know, steamrolled from that point, and that's when she kicked him out of the house. Sean disappears to his house in Delaware. For Teresa, it's the last straw. The divorce she filed years ago is official. And now she's legitimately rid of Sean. She turns to the one person who makes her feel both loved and desired, Jim. Up until now, Teresa and Jim have only seen each other as friends. But flush with rage about her soon-to-be ex-husband's infidelity, 
Teresa invites Jim over for more than just another heart-to-heart. Teresa took that opportunity, and their relationship moved to a new level. It became intimate in early of 2008. After years of stifling their attraction, Teresa and Jim finally give in. These sorts of relationships, which build over a number of years, when they finally get to the point that they become sexual, can have genuinely explosive results. For Jim and Teresa, the pleasure has been worth the wait. Crossing that line into the physical is an incredibly fulfilling but also emancipating experience. She's getting her power back. By the end of February, Sean still hasn't returned from his house in Delaware. Now that she's legally divorced, Teresa decides it's time to wipe the slate clean and invites Jim to stay at her house. I missed you. When Jim moves in in February 2008, it's clear that he wants this relationship with Teresa. I think he was getting older. He was in 33 at the time. He wanted to start thinking about his life. He wants to be with her. He wants to be with her kids. The couple are completely swept up in their new romance. And Teresa finally feels like she can move on from her volatile life with Sean. But just 30 miles away in Delaware, Sean feels differently. As far as he's concerned, Teresa belongs to him, regardless of the divorce. Unaware that there's another man in the house, Sean begins calling and texting, hoping to win her back. But now that they're no longer married, Teresa refuses his repeated requests. Sean is not used to this. He is not used to being ignored. And a controlling aspect of his personality begins to burgeon. Sean drives to Teresa's house to see what she's up to and notices an unfamiliar car. He did notice this white Jeep parked in her driveway. Sean questions Teresa about the car. Eager to avoid a confrontation, she quickly makes up an excuse. Apparently, Teresa played that off as just a friend of hers that was using the driveway to park for the, the train to go to work. But Sean, from his constant surveillance of her house, noticed that the, the white Jeep was there more than just during working hours. Sean knows she's lying, and he's not going to stand for it. On a Saturday morning, almost a month after Sean moved out, Jim comes back after a long night at work. He's working night shift, and so he goes directly to Teresa's house. He asks her if he can just sleep a little bit. Mind if I go up and uh, take a nap? Yeah, go. I will be right there. All right. Okay. She allows him to go up to the bedroom. He falls asleep in the master bedroom, which was Sean and Teresa's bed. Jim drifts off, unaware that he's in for a rude awakening. What are you doing? What are Where you doing it? here? Don't wait. And out of nowhere, Sean comes in. He's angry. He goes directly to the bedroom. After weeks of keeping the two men apart, Teresa's enraged ex-husband is about to confront her unsuspecting lover, who's asleep in their marital bed. 
it's an explosive situation that will have disastrous consequences for them all. After two years in a tumultuous marriage, Sean Burton's ex-wife, Teresa, has kicked him out of the house and invited her lover, Jim, to move in. But when Sean becomes suspicious that there is a new man in her life, he decides to pay a visit to the house unannounced. Wait, wait, Sean. Teresa, no. where is he? He goes directly to the bedroom, and he discovers James in their bed and screams at him, who are you? What are you doing here? Who the hell are you? Jim is startled out of sleep. He's discombobulated. He doesn't know what's going on. Teresa! Jim says, who are you? Who are you? What the hell? What? what? Who am I? I'm Teresa's husband. That's who I am. Her husband? What? What? She told me you were divorced. He obviously knew of Sean, um, but they had never met face to face. Teresa told Jim she ended things for good with Sean. Who the hell is he? But it turns out that even though she's technically divorced, Teresa is far from ready to let Sean go completely. Jim would have expected Teresa to throw Sean out. Instead, to his horror, she asks Jim to leave. Jim, I think you should leave. This has to be really shattering for Jim. He's put all his eggs in one basket. He is going to be very confused about why she would go back to Sean. Even after everything she's been through, Teresa finds it impossible to say no to her domineering ex. There's still something there, something unresolved, something magnetic about him that holds her back. Teresa is forced to acknowledge that their relationship isn't over yet. She wants to be with both of them, but she just can't, not with the kind of personality uh, that Sean has. He's not going to let her go. For women like Teresa, there's this strange disconnect. They present a very confident appearance to the outside world, but deep inside, there's some sort of damage or unresolved pain that makes them always go back. Soon after the confrontation, Teresa tells Jim their affair must end. He was giving her an opportunity to move on with him, a new life with him. However, she didn't take it. Crushed by the rejection, Jim decides he needs to get as far away from Teresa as possible. When Teresa dumps him, he rushes to re-enlist. Jim left to go back to Iraq because Teresa broke his heart. During the summer of 2008, Teresa focuses on trying to piece together her life with Sean. Jim fades into the background, and Teresa and Sean sort of resume their crazy relationship. Legally, they're not even married anymore, but now they're living as if nothing's ever happened. For a moment, it feels like things are back to normal. And in a nod to how they first met, Sean even invites Teresa to accompany him to an auto trade show. She's dressed up for the convention, sort of working the booth. It's the kind of event that brings out the best in them as a couple. Hello. How are you? Chris, nice to meet you. Teresa, nice, nice to, meet to meet you. He would take her to the show. She would show off his cars. 
you know, a little bit of arm candy to kind of get people to come and talk to him about his business. Even though they're still divorced, the magnetism between them is undeniable. Under the bright lights in Vegas, Teresa and Sean make an impulsive and stunning decision. They get married. She didn't plan to get married to him again for that trip. She didn't tell anybody ahead of time that she was going to marry Sean again. Taken in by Sean's promises, Teresa is convinced that this time will be different. For women on the merry-go-round of codependency, they will end up being very wishy-washy and vacillating. There will be moments of strength where they say, I've had enough, and then something will come around and it buys more time. Teresa and Sean return home as Mr. and Mrs. Burton once again. But if Teresa thinks that all Sean needed was a second chance, she's made a huge mistake. Almost immediately, Sean is back to staying out late and disappearing for days at a time. Sean continues to cheat unrepentantly. Teresa continues to wring her hands on the nights that he's not coming home. Where are you? I haven't seen you since last Tuesday. In the past, when Teresa has accused her husband of cheating, he's quickly come around. This time, instead of assuring her things are okay, Sean tells her to stop calling him. Sean has become the victor. He's managed to get Teresa back and get her to marry him again. He's going to be very controlling about Teresa's ability to interfere in his women on the side. She can't call him. She's not allowed to email him. Sean is really exerting total control over Teresa. Almost like I've taken you back a second time, so I make the rules now. Even more powerless than she was before, Teresa realizes she's made the same terrible mistake twice. And this time, she'll pay a much higher price. In March of 2010, her one-time confidant and lover, Jim, returns home after a year-long tour in Iraq. Teresa, again, begins to confide in him about how things are horrible in her marriage, that she and her husband aren't getting along. They're not romantically involved anymore. They're living more as roommates. In spite of his broken heart, Jim once again gives Teresa the compassion and understanding she craves. Teresa is at the end of her rope. She's fed up enough with how Sean is behaving. She wants to be with Jim, but he can't help feeling skeptical. Jim's been through a lot at this point. He doesn't want to get back into this thing with Teresa. Jim and Teresa choose to remain friends until she can decide what to do about Sean. And this is the point where things start to move towards the end result. For weeks, Teresa keeps up appearances with Sean while staying in contact with Jim. But her distraction doesn't go unnoticed, and Sean starts watching her every move, keenly aware of her past relationship with the Army Ranger. In the spring of 2010, things are getting crazy. 
Sean is suspecting Teresa that maybe she's still seeing Jim. Despite the rising tension between them, Teresa can't bring herself to cancel an upcoming family vacation and disappoint her children. Teresa and Sean, despite all of this dysfunction, are still planning to go to Ocean City, Maryland. They had planned to take the boys. It was something that they had done other years. The night before the trip, Sean finally explodes in a jealous fury. I told you to stop texting him. <gasps> what are you doing? That terrifies his wife. I think you're so perfect, don't you? It escalates enough to where at four in the morning, there's a phone call to the police. My husband just attacked me. Teresa and Sean's toxic relationship has finally boiled over. And it'll take more than a police intervention to stop what's coming next. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Hours before a long-awaited vacation, Sean Burton and his wife, Teresa, are in the middle of a vicious argument. I told you to stop texting him. What are you talking what about? What am I talking about? Finally ready to correct the terrible mistake she made in remarrying him, Teresa lays down the law. Teresa says to Sean, you know, let's just take this trip. We come back and that's it. And it's over. No, woman, I tell you when it's over. <gasps> You call me shots? You think you can take Sean's reaction to Teresa's resolve brought out a fury in him that she had never seen before, and it scared her. Afraid for her safety, she makes a panicked phone call. She contacted the Springfield Police Department. Hello, police. And Sean left the house that night. 
Sean goes to his house in Delaware. No charges are filed, but Teresa is convinced he will stop at nothing to hang on to her. The police advise her to spend the weekend with a friend or relative. Instead, she calls her former lover, Jim. Rather than going to a family member's house, as the officer had recommended, of course, she calls Jim. Jim and Teresa go off on their own. They just drop the kids and head up to the Poconos. Teresa enjoys a passionate reunion with Jim and knows in her heart that he is the man she really wants to be with. When she returns home and finds Sean is still in Delaware, it inspires her to make a big decision and invite Jim to move in again. They return to Springfield like nothing was ever wrong. I'm so happy that you're here. Living with her like they're a happy suburban couple. It seems like a fresh start. He was happy and he was content. Jamie was always uh, off going and never could sit still, but now you could relax. She promised that things were gonna be different. You have to bear in mind that he's been holding on for this woman for a number of years now. Jim feels his patience has paid off and their troubled past is behind them. Little do they know, there's much worse than heartbreak in store for them. Sean still refuses to let Teresa go. His constant texts and emails resume. And Jim begins keeping a close watch on the house. Jim's fundamental identity is as a soldier, and if he perceived any threat to himself, Teresa, or her children, his automatic trained response would be to fall back on that combat training. But Sean doesn't let up. After convincing her to marry him for a second time, he fully expects Teresa to give in to his demands. But this time, he's in for a big surprise. On the 9th of June, Teresa finally takes decisive step. She files for divorce. She actually gets an attorney this time. Sean is infuriated. He wanted her on his terms, and now she wasn't playing by those rules. This is the moment where Sean really sees that he is losing control. Determined to have his way, he makes a bold suggestion. Sean asked Teresa if she would be willing to go see the couple's counselor. Unbeknownst to Jim, Teresa accepts his offer. Teresa agrees to go to marriage counseling because she's hoping that a professional counselor might be able to make Sean see that their marriage is finally and truly over. Knowing just how to push her buttons, Sean makes his move. And despite her resolve to leave him forever, Teresa once again succumbs to their intense attraction. Once she's back in his presence, she's powerless to resist all of his manipulative, controlling tendencies. She has sex with her soon-to-be ex-husband in the parking lot of their couple's counselor's office. 
In Sean's mind, this is almost the equivalent of makeup sex. If he can get Teresa to have sex with him, he gets her back in his control. They're both at this point fairly unpredictable. You know, they're having sex in public as they're in the process of filing for a divorce. And then Teresa goes home to Jim. Sean leaves thinking Teresa is back in his control. In Sean's mind, that sexual encounter in the parking lot is the first step on the road to reconciliation. Teresa knows she made a mistake when she gave in to Sean, and she wants to move on. So she carries on with Jim as though nothing has changed and hopes that he won't find out about her torrid reunion with her ex. In fact, they're now living as a family and making plans for the summer. Hey. How are you? Good. Father's Day weekend rolls around, and Jim is at her house enjoying a barbecue. Oh, oh my god, this is what? so adorable. Look at this. Number one dad. I know. They are so excited. That is awesome. Teresa and Jim spent the whole weekend together. He had been acting as a father to these two boys on a daily basis. He's pretty fully occupying Sean's role at this point. After years of longing for a life with Teresa, Jim finally has what he wants. And he's determined to keep it at all costs. The next morning, Witnesses report a fight in the parking lot of a shopping center. The first thing the eyewitnesses saw was really what they heard. They heard someone screaming for help. The strangled cries are coming from a car, but no one can get a clear view. They hear somebody yelling, help me, help me. Suddenly, the car speeds out of the parking lot, and it becomes clear that something horrific has happened. As the vehicle is driving, they're able to see the blood pouring from the right passenger door. There's no clear description of the driver and only a trail of blood left behind as the car takes off. Police are now on the lookout for a brutal crime in progress, but they may already be too late. On the morning of June 21st, 2010, authorities receive calls reporting a violent attack inside a car at a shopping center. But before police arrive, the car speeds off. And they're able to see the blood pouring from the right passenger door. The information that the witnesses provided to the 911 is being broadcast. Seconds later, we see the white Jeep still traveling west. We've ID'd that white Jeep, we're moving. So we're able to come up behind. It's not traveling fast, but it doesn't slow down. He turns on his siren on the vehicle. Finally, the Jeep pulls over. The registration plate was a vanity tag that said Iraq War Veteran. Dispatch was able to give the information that this Jeep was registered to a James Stropus. At first, the driver doesn't move. Then, he slowly steps out of the vehicle. A 
as he turns and gets out of the car, he puts his hands in the air, I can see blood dripping down both his arms. He's covered in blood, looking like something that just walked out of a horror movie. The detectives ask the blood-soaked man to identify himself, and he gives his name as Sean Burton. We asked him if he was okay. He said, I had to defend myself. Are there any weapons in the vehicle? You have to ask him. Our response to that is, who is him? With that, Detective Fry is able to see the interior front seat of the Jeep, and he sees legs sticking out. Inside the car, a man is lying face down. He was laying with his head on the floor, and the entire front passenger seat of the Jeep was full of blood, two or three inches of blood. I reached around to his neck. I couldn't get any type of a pulse from his carotid artery, and I also observed that he had stopped bleeding. He's sustained 70 or 80 stab wounds. His carotid arteries have been severed, so he's hemorrhaged profusely all over the vehicle. He did have his wallet in the back pocket of his jeans, so we were able to identify that our victim in the Jeep is Jim Stropus. Sean insists he was trying to fend off an attack. I had to, to, to defend myself. They talk to Sean, and he doesn't really seem to profess any knowledge of who Jim is. Sean starts to realize what's going on, and he clams up. And at some point, he says, you know, I, I need to talk to an attorney. Sean, at this point, was handcuffed and then put him in the ambulance and took him to the hospital for treatment. The homicide investigation starts in the parking lot where the fight began. They find there's a van there on the lot that comes back registered to Sean Burton. The police enter Sean's car and find it totally kitted out. It's covered in plastic. There's a shovel. There's gasoline. There's a hatchet. Sean had claimed he was trying to protect himself from an attack, but it appears he was prepared to do much more than defend himself. He was going to get rid of him. He had everything in his van that was going to enable him to do that. Which was to get Jim into his vehicle, kill him, cut him up, burn him, and then bury the remains. Sean's claims of self-defense are crumbling fast. But investigators still don't have a motive for the lethal attack. They hope Jim's car might yield some clues as to how the men knew each other. Inside the car, they find the bloody murder weapon. And then they uncover something mysterious. They're on the passenger side of the vehicle, and they see this device attached to the undercarriage. They have no idea what this device is. It's all black. You can see a red indicator light. This device is taken to police headquarters for examination. And this key piece of evidence will soon expose the calculated obsession that led to Jim's gruesome murder. 
In a small, peaceful town in Pennsylvania, detectives get a call about a vehicle fleeing a potential crime scene. They locate the car, pull it over, and uncover the mutilated body of Jim Stropus. Violently stabbed to death in his own car, and their prime suspect is the driver. Sean Burton claims he was defending himself, but the police have uncovered evidence that suggests he was in the midst of executing a meticulous murder plot when something went wrong. While gathering evidence from the scene of the crime, the detectives find a mysterious device on the underside of the car. They see this device attached to the undercarriage. It's all black. You can see a red indicator light. Detectives are puzzled by the device. But an examination of Sean's laptop soon reveals its purpose. Sean was a gadget freak. That was his business. He knew all about electronics and how he could wire up vehicles. We come to determine that he had installed a GPS tracking device on Jim Stropus's Jeep. The GPS tracker was sending information about Jim's whereabouts to Sean. So Sean was tracking Jim Stropus and knew his every move. It was constant. He was constantly checking to see if Jim was still at the house. The information from Sean's laptop is clear proof that he was plotting to kill Jim. But investigators still don't know why. Jim's phone records are examined as part of the evidence. They notice that there's been calls made that morning to Teresa. Teresa is asked to come in for questioning. They bring her to the station and she's able to identify both people. She explains to the detectives that she is Sean's soon-to-be ex-wife and she is currently living with Jim Stropus. She's pretty devoid of feeling. I think at this point, maybe it's starting to set into her not only that Jim is dead, but that she maybe has a role in what just happened. Teresa's testimony provides the motive investigators have been seeking. With Sean in custody and the GPS tracking device showing premeditation, the cops are ready to make their case. Within seven hours of having been arrested, Sean's charged with first-degree murder. On March 21st, 2011, the trial begins. Jim Stropus's devastated family attends the proceedings. I went to the trial. I was blown away by what actually came out in trial. The prosecution claims that Sean spent weeks surveying the house and planning the attack. Then, one fateful day caused this obsessed ex to snap. The Father's Day barbecue was the last straw for him. Sean doesn't get an invitation to the house. He drives by uninvited and, of course, recognizes Jim's car in front of Teresa's house. He couldn't take it anymore. He puts the GPS tracker under the car. He's going to end this. Teresa's not doing it, so he's going to do it for him. 
The next morning, Sean is parked near Teresa's home, waiting for the right moment. That morning, Teresa wakes up and she's not feeling well. She asks Jim if he would go get her some coffee. This is something that he does for her fairly regularly. And he walked out the door for Teresa never to see him again. But Sean is watching Jim's every move. He pulls in, he parks his vehicle. He orders a large coffee and a muffin. A cup of coffee in one hand, the muffin in the other. He puts his sunglasses back on and he heads out the door. Sean is lying in wait near Jim's car. He's aware that Jim Stropus is an army ranger and he would be a tough one to tangle with. So therefore, he needed the element of surprise. Sean just attacks him. And even though Jim is caught off guard, he fights back and ruins Sean's perfect plan. He wasn't able to get Jim into his van. His plan crumbled, so Sean needed to make an escape. And his escape was to use Jim's vehicle and get out of the area. The trial ends on March 25th, 2011. After three and a half hours of deliberation, the jury finds Sean Burton guilty of first-degree murder. Sean still loved Teresa. He didn't want to lose that. He was so obsessed with her beauty that he just couldn't walk away. The pot just boiled over, and Sean just split with rationality. Teresa faces no charge, but is left to live with the devastating consequences. Teresa is the one who sits with this for the rest of her life. This case was tragic for everybody involved in it. Jim Strobus had fought in the war. He went to Iraq twice. And to come back to be brutally attacked in a parking lot by a jealous and enraged soon-to-be ex-husband was the worst part about this case. One of the hardest parts of the whole trial wasn't so much the testimony from Burton, but was watching that five minutes of tape where he was there to pick up his girlfriend a cup of coffee. Walks out the door, and that's the last second of his life. It's something so mundane and so normal to be turned around and uh, be murdered in your own car. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.